Good morning, everybody. Howdy. I'm saying good morning because we're recording this first thing in the morning. Like, we, we just got up, so my voice is probably a little bit deeper than normal. Sounds grand, my dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this, today is a special episode of Philosophy with Cats. Um, our cat, Sumka, is uh, laying on the ground right in front of us because um, he really wants to participate um, in philosophy. You know, we don't really think about how cats have really contributed to the history of philosophy. I mean, yeah, I, I really think that cats, the life of an average domestic cat, is sort of like the life of the greatest philosophers. You know, they, they kind of lounge around, That's true. they eat food when they need to, and then, other than that, they're, they're kind of just, you know, sitting, pondering. Uh, you know, you just see cats laying around everywhere. Yep. Do- dogs are running here and there, you know, they're trying to get the attention of their masters, they're licking people, they're doing all these nasty things. I hate dogs. Uh, <laughs> cats, cats are really, they, they take life slow, and they're peaceful, um, and and they're relaxed, and so they're philosophizing. Spinoza, the philosopher, actually said okay. it wasn't until men had time for leisure and relaxing that philosophy came into being. Mm-hmm. So in the early savage days of man's history, when we were just fighting for survival, no philosophy. There were no philosophers. But as soon as you know you had cities that were well protected, and you know you had climates that were comfortable to live in, and you didn't have to worry about freezing to death, like in Greece or in Italy, yeah, yeah. suddenly you had philosophers springing up because they could just relax and actually start thinking so, about the higher things. So, Ksumka right now is like the preeminent philosopher. He is. He just is. relaxed, not, not worried about anything, just able to sit and just contemplate. Exactly. Because we all know the cats contemplate stuff. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, like their next meal. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's contemplate ourselves. And let's look to some philosophers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so today we wanted to talk about art. Uh, we talked about music a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago. One of our first episodes. Um, and music is a form of art. Right. Uh, and we talked about what makes music good and what makes it not good. We but, talked about literature, too, which is a, yeah. a form of art, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of, we wanted to talk about more like art in general under the philosophical, I guess, realm of what's called aesthetics. Um, it's, we have ethics, right? How, how are we supposed to uh, act? Uh, we have philosophical anthropology, which is kind of how do we understand the nature of the human person. Um, metaphysics, which is where we talk about being as it is being itself. Um, and the nature of being, a being and being, it's crazy. It's crazy. There's like four words for when you say the word being, you have to specify which one you're saying. Um, but aesthetics is kind of the philosophy of, I guess, beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Philosophy of beauty and, and often, I don't know it super well, but uh, from, from the little I do know, it's, it's often dealing with uh, f- philosophizing on matters that relate to our senses and our self-experience. Okay. So, so art would be key. Right, in exactly. That. Yeah. Um, so we thought it'd be cool to um, actually like walk through different philosophical schools of thought um, by going in kind of a chronological order, all the way back from the ancients up to um, more contemporary <laughs> philosophers. Um what they understood art to be, what their purpose for art was, and then did art have an, like an end goal? Um, and then we we'll kind of thought we'd respond to some of those. Yeah, and compare and contrast yeah. uh, the different philosophers, because they, they have, the ones we, we looked at have some pretty widely different views on Quite. art. Um, so hitting it off, go ahead. Yeah, um, let's start with, with Plato. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we have some quotes from Plato pulled up. Well, actually, quotes and ideas from uh, these very different philosophers pulled up. Um, So, 
to start with Plato. Yeah. So Plato's idea of art is basically a material copy of something uh, of some form. So the, you know, a big part of Platonic philosophy is there, or sorry, Platonist philosophy is uh, there are these forms uh, that exist apart from matter, mm-hmm. the true forms of things. So the true form of virtue, for example, is something that exists above and beyond matter. Yeah. The true form of the good is something that exists above and beyond matter. The same is true as as far as Plato sees it for truth and beauty, you know, the, the transcendentals that we talk about. Yep. And, and also for even uh, individual kinds of beings, so like animals yeah. and, and plants. Like there are true form. forms of each one that are actually higher in Plato's idea uh, than the material manifestations that we see on Earth. Yeah. So he applies that to art, saying that art is basically, it's a copy of uh, some form, and on a lesser level even than uh, than the Rick. physical things. that, Like, for example, art, like a statue of a bird, is going to be an imperfect representation of a real bird. Which is? Which is itself, you know, an imperfect uh, copy of the form of bird. Okay. So, so then art is probably not prime for plato um let's see yeah he i think he even said like it can be delusional yeah um, because well, it's two degrees removed from reality yeah kind of. exactly so yeah. It, it can lead us astray mm-hmm. um because it and it, it's distracting us from actually reflecting on what is is real um yeah and especially for like the ideas of like the transcendentals um within the created or within the material thing are aspects of something that is good right mm-hmm. so you have a bird like you're saying like it's the there's a form of the bird a form of perfect bird right that's yeah. up in the realm of Most the forms truly bird which is beyond our sensory experience mm-hmm. um but there's also the form of the good and in that bird we see both a manifestation of both of those forms mm-hmm. like something because it's good because it's there um and it's partly a uh you know a bird in, yeah. but it's not perfected but <laughs> art um is neither of those things yeah. Because it's it's even lesser, right? Because it's right. imitation. So, um, what, well, like, what would be the purpose for art then for Plato? Is it even a good thing? It I would. It, it seems like maybe not. Well, it's funny. Maybe art could serve in some way to to point to the forms, but again, in a sort of illusory way. Okay. And as we said, as far as Plato sees it, it seems like art is two degrees removed from true reality. Um, so at best good art would maybe uh, producing you a desire to, to find the true form. Um, but like, I, I think it can be likened to Plato's famous cave analogy from mm-hmm. uh, Plato's Republic. So uh, in Plato's Republic, he's dealing with the topic of justice and the form of justice. Um, but, you know, I think this kind of, the analogy he uses when he's talking about it can be applied to his idea of forms in general and probably things like art. Okay. So basically he says, the way a lot of people see justice or virtues, um, they kind of see, uh, you know, a shadow of it or just mm-hmm. like some very removed image yeah. and not the true thing itself. He says, it's as if we were standing in a cave. It's kind of a hard analogy to imagine, but you gotta, you gotta try to visualize it. It's as if we were standing in a cave, um, kind of chained up. So we're forced to look in one direction. So we're, we're turned towards the cave wall, yeah. not the opening of the cave. And we're stuck in that position. We can't turn around. We're just looking at the cave wall and behind us, uh, there are, there's like, he says like a light, a light yeah. source mm-hmm. and various puppets or like, uh, objects people are holding up. So 
on the on the wall in front of us, we're seeing shadows yeah. of those puppets that are coming from the light source. And then, but the puppets themselves are an image that point to something outside of the cave that is real. So you can imagine a, a puppet of a bird, yeah. to go back to our bird example. Yeah. Um, so there's real birds outside, you know, flying around. And then someone makes a puppet of the bird, and they're holding that up in the cave. And, you, we and then see from the light source, we just see a shadow of the, pu- of the puppet. So we have a very removed understanding uh, of what really exists and what is truly the form of, of anything. So I think art for him would probably be something like the shadows. And then to complete his analogy, coming out of the cave um, and seeing what is really out there, like the, the light of the true sun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or the things that are in the actual world outside. That's to experience the forms themselves, right? Yeah. And to gain t- real knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then even trying to go back into the cave and then bring them out. Right. They might on- they still only grasp, well, this is what's real. Right? right. When you're locked in the cave, all you know about reality is like the these shadows. shadows. Yeah. And you, it, it's sad, but you accept that as your right. own reality. Exactly. That's why I think for him, his shadows probably wouldn't contribute to the people ever coming to knowledge of the true forms, yeah. at least the shadows by themselves. Cause he, he believes that w- what it takes for people to come to true knowledge is a philosopher who's been outside the cave coming to down. come down and kind of free mankind and lead them out of the cave. So the shadows themselves won't do that. So art is basically a shadow. Basically. I think so. Yeah. I think so. No, that makes sense to me. Um, so, okay. So that's Plato. Um, Moving on ahead to the preeminent... Uh, the angelic doctor. Yes. Our good boy. Uh, uh, we got Aquinas. Aquinas. And he's got a, a slightly different take on Plato, but not not so different in some ways. This is still based more on Aristotle, yeah. I would think. Um, right. But... Um, fundamentally, yeah, go just to your point, it, it is based on Aristotle. And so Aristotle, one of his simplest definitions of art is an imitation of nature. Okay. So for Aristotle, um, the... Art is a representation of something in nature. Um, so in that way, it's a little bit similar to Plato, but the difference being Aristotle thinks nature, you know, the, the nature that we yeah. can really look around and sense with our with our senses is truly nature. You okay. know, that it's the, not the dogs and birds and, and people we pass, right, they, they are real dogs and birds and people. It's not like just an imperfect copy of a form. Okay. So art for him would be would be a valid representation of something that is, is true and real. Okay, so then Aquinas takes that up then, um, and then says that if it's a work of, or imitation of nature, Mm -hmm. then art also must be a rational imitation of nature. Right. Um, So that by, and that it must, therefore, if it's rational, it can only be done by a select people, only those with an intellect. Yeah, So God, angels, and human beings <clears throat> exactly animals even though we see elephants and zoos that sometimes paint stuff yeah uh aquinas wouldn't count that as, as right. real art he's saying that it has to be a product of something rational um because it produces something ordered towards a final cause or an end mm-hmm. right right it should be directing us and pointing us towards something else right and only uh the intellect can grasp the final cause exactly right? a- animals um cannot perceive that Oh, like if I eat, I'm eating for, you know, yeah, eating for survival. Right. Or I'm eating to be fed. Mm-hmm. That's about all they see. Right. We could see I'm eating now, so I have enough calories. So when I work out later, I don't pass out. Right. Um, and I work out. You have a goal because I want to be healthy, right. and I want to be healthy because that helps me help other people. Right. Right. We can constantly be seeing these next causes. Right. Whereas animals can't do that. So mm-hmm. Aquinas is saying that art must be gearing us towards seeing that. 
mm-hmm. final end. Yeah, absolutely. And just agreeing with what you're saying, because of that understanding of art, it's necessary that art be a, a rational act. It's yep. necessary that art be something rational because, um, to use the term you, you brought up, the final cause, uh, the final cause is uh, first in the order of causing, mm-hmm. but last in the order of time. So, for example, for a sculptor who wants to make a statue of something, say he's making a statue of a tiger, the the tiger in his mind, like the image that he wants to produce, that's the first thing he's thinking about, even yeah. before you know he starts sculpting the marble. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already thinking about it, and so in, in a way, his final cause, his goal is the first thing in the order of causing, and it determines all of his subsequent actions. Yeah. But it's the last thing it that he reaches. Happens. And the only way you can really have that uh, mental idea and, and you know goal in mind uh, that determines all the steps of your art is for you to be a rational being. Yeah. So that well, again, yeah. then uh, that clearly confines what art can be mm-hmm. for Aquinas. Um, he actually even says that art has to be beautiful for it to be art. Right. So not only just just done by rational being, it mm-hmm. also has to, in a sense, contain nat- like beauty itself. Right. right. Um, so I wonder what he would think about, you know, modern art, oh, contemporary yeah. art. Oh, yeah. Um, if if it's not really beautiful. Is it even art? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according yeah. to him, yeah. That's a good question because that's often, I think, kind of the debate is like, okay, uh, you know, these supposedly great works of art that we have nowadays, uh, are they even uh, good art at all? But I think the question is more fundamental than that. It's not just are they good art. Yeah. Is it – are they art at all? Yeah. In yeah. any sense. Um, and like, for example, there's uh, there's this one painting. It might just be called Blue or something. It's – it's uh in the genre of art called minimalism. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just a canvas covered in one shade of blue. And, you know, it's probably worth millions and millions it's... of dollars. And it's like, dude, why didn't I get to be the one to make that and, like, yeah. get, <laughs> get rich off of literally zero talent? And for one thing, it's, it's I mean, in some sense, maybe it's a rational act because the guy had the rational goal of, oh, I can make bank off of just painting a canvas yeah, right. with blue. But it's, oh. it's clearly, I don't think, beautiful. Um it doesn't seem to take much rational, uh, you know, work. And so I, 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 I don't know. It's hard to see how that's a valid form of art. And I remember studying uh, in college postmodernism, yeah. uh, particularly in architecture and art. Right. And there was this one artist who um, would film himself doing paintings. Yeah. Um, and his paintings were, like, very weird. Like, they had to be, like, splat. He would never touch the canvas. Yeah. Like, he had to do it from a distance, so mm-hmm. he would splatter. Now, some of the stuff he made was actually kind of cool looking, but still like kind of whack. Cool looking, but maybe not beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, his product on the canvas was not what he called the art. Yes. It was the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. So he would actually sell the film yeah. of him making it and called that the art. Right. And then he would actually, most of the time, throw the canvases yeah. away. Right. Um, so that just then becomes really strange because now we don't even care about the product right. at all, which is Aquinas saying, oh, you know, it has to produce a product and that product has right. to be beautiful. He's saying, no, it's it's my movement of the body. Yeah. Right? That's just, that seems, it's so, expanded an idea of art in which I think has broken it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, if you look at abstract art, like, you know, it's just a bunch of zigzags and streaks of random color and there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no image that you're trying to depict. And so if you look at that, you see like, it, it kind of captures the the idea, a very common maxim that we hear in our modern culture, that life is not about the journey, it's about, 
or sorry, really? life, life's not about the destination, it's yeah. about the journey, which I think sounds really cute, but it's actually a very atheistic idea and mm-hmm. very godless, because what it's saying is, don't worry about the final cause, don't strive for any goal, just, you know, enjoy the experience of, of, of the process. Yeah. And that's totally ridiculous, and, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, directly opposed to how we ought to understand reality, because we should be striving towards a common goal in our in our whole lives, we should be striving towards the final cause of God and union with God, mm-hmm. and then in things like art... We should have a final cause like, oh, I'm trying to produce a particularly beautiful work of art. I'm trying to make a product and not just, oh, I'm going to throw like random color on the on the page. Because that's what, for one thing, aside from that, that lacks a final cause, it's also not a rational act even. Yeah. Like it's random. Like when people are just, like you said, it's, it's a common, you know, method of art and I'm using art only very loosely where artists will, um, they'll just fling paint yeah at, at the uh, at the canvas they don't even know where on the canvas that paint is gonna land that's true and they're just like oh, I'm it's an expression of my deep feelings and you're like bro it's not an expression of anything it's not intelligent it's you don't have any uh any deliberation about what you're doing yeah it's not even it's not even a rational act elephants can literally do better than that dang way to pop off thanks I, uh, I, it's just no know. I agree like you're very right and it seems strange that these days we just accept everything as art if someone says it is um yeah but the quietness is very clear it's yeah. like nope nope not everything is art art commentators what if you just come with a wrecking art. ball to different churches or oh, places oh for sure have. it's like and you'd be based for doing so i think art commentators probably have a lot to do with why art is as ruined as it is nowadays like the mm. art commentators have probably ruined the world of art because you know a normal person looks at a at a you know canvas with random streaks of green and purple and says okay it looks like uh you had a little bit of a paint spill here it looks yeah. like a mess but no an art commentator will look at that and say oh you know it really grasps the depth of the human condition and, yeah. <laughs> and you know make up some some bs so well yeah. let's well why don't we look at then someone who was an actual artist okay um, fire, fire. and who maybe well, not maybe who did kind of have his own philosophy of art so this would be leonardo da vinci um, who, and not just an artist, but yeah. the most Googled artist in history. I just found that out the other day. Really? Well, Google is putting out like some like, uh, I don't know, something over the years about like what their most searched uh, things have been. That's kind of dope. Yeah. And he's the most searched artist in history. I Wow. Is that because like The Last Supper is like one of the most famous? Yeah, probably. Um, oh, man. I should I ought to know this. This is basic. But was he, he, was, he was the one that did the Mona Lisa, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So he 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 did a lot of the classic arts that everybody knows. And yeah, exactly. But, sorry, I cut you off. Though. What no, are you gonna say it. about him? Um, yeah. So he he has um, his quote or his understanding of art is um, he says that it is an exposition of nature, kind of similar to Aquinas as an imitation. It it right. reveals and shows something of nature, but in fact <laughs> that it is the queen of all sciences, communicating knowledge to all generations of the world. Um, so I thought we could just, like, break down that definition. Is that a quote from him? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And just, okay, so the queen of all sciences. So how is art a science? It's different because, you know, like, the way they, ancients and, like, renaissance, well, ancient medievals, you know, renaissance people would define science the way we define right. science these days is very different. Right. Um yeah, that's interesting because I, w- I would think for a lot of people, um, 
or, or from maybe Aquinas' perspective, that the queen of all sciences would probably be some realm of philosophy yeah. or metaphysics. Um, so, for one thing, I just just calling it the queen of all philo- of, all, of all sciences is really elevating art um, in a way, probably uh, certainly above Plato and even above Aristotle, maybe. Um, but what what is interesting is that uh, he he says that it communicates knowledge to all generations, mm-hmm. which I think there's there's some beautiful truth in that. That is, you know, good art. Uh, transcends time yeah um mm-hmm. if you if you look at you know beautiful renaissance or baroque art you don't have to be from that time period to grasp the beauty of it you look at that and you observe beauty in it and you observe the truth in it um no matter whether you're from the 20th century or the 15th century and so it you know it, good art and beauty they are complete transcendentals as we say over yeah. and over again yeah and so it doesn't matter your your country your language your creed your your time period the, the beauty that they express is universal. Yeah, it's attractive, and it evokes something in you. Right. And I think what he says communicates knowledge. Um, I think that word maybe could be hard to be like, okay, how does it communicate knowledge? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it communicates maybe a knowledge of of the transcendentals in a way, yeah. but also of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at totally. um, a truly beautiful painting or a truly beautiful work of all art, whether it's sculpture or here, a beautiful or, piece or of literature. Music. Yeah. Um, there's something that stirs in you that like mm-hmm. you want to explore that or right. you're like, wow, I didn't know that about myself. Or I didn't know that about people or I never looked, you know, when you look at a sculptor and it accentuates usually certain features like right. neck or like nose um, or in music, you know, there's crescendos, day crescendos that kind of right. supposed to highlight a certain, mm-hmm. you know, chord or something. And that all of a sudden resonates with you. Yeah. Um, we don't think about knowledge in that way very often, but right. kind of a an impression of the senses upon the mind that then causes us to react. Mm-hmm. That's a form of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's different than you know what we understand like knowledge as like about facts and figures and whatever. But um, if art really does communicate knowledge, then I think it's communicating something about ourselves mm-hmm. to us yeah. that we might not have known before. That's totally true. Just for one particular form of art, um, what you're saying reminds me of uh, something I heard about literature. So uh, there was, oh, I don't remember who said the quote, but I was told this quote by um, uh, one of the professors at my school, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Uh, Mister Cooper. And he said, uh, I, th- I think he was quoting somebody else, um, you don't judge you know, great works of literature. Great works of literature judge you. Mm. And so it, it, that's kind of powerful in that, like, if you read, you know, a great tragic play, um, you re- read Antigone, you know, you read uh, Dostoevsky, you read Tolstoy, you find yourself kind of on trial. Yeah. And yeah. you have, you come to an awareness of yourself and your flaws by, by looking at the characters, right? You look at the characters, you see something in them that relates to you. Um, and the beauty of a great art again is that it can relate to everybody in some way, you know, you, yeah, it, yeah. good art transcends time and, and individual experience. And so you, you see in these characters something that, uh, resonates with you and then you're on trial in a way because you see, okay, how does the book judge that character? How does the book judge me? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that happens in, in the other forms of art too, in the ways you're talking about. Yeah. So in that way, it really, it's beautiful that even though, Art and especially the fine arts aren't don't pre- present like a bunch of propositional truths. Yeah, they do present some truth. Yes, and in that way, it brings us to a, a different kind of knowledge. Which is why I think going back to Aquinas, he would agree a bit with Leonardo da Vinci. It's communicating knowledge, and knowledge is of truth, right? Right. 
beauty the transcendentals are never divorced from each other where one is all of them must be yeah so if aquinas says art has to be beautiful it can't not be if it's truly beautiful then it also means it's relaying something truthful yeah so i think i think actually leonardo da vinci and aquinas would go hand in hand i think they would agree the queen of the sciences aspect not necessarily but he's an artist so he you know he's a little bit biased yeah that's true yeah and and aquinas is a philosopher so he's right right Right. so but i I think you're right that the some of the fundamental principles they seem to be sharing are are in agreement um and just real quick one one thing that i think is really cool about uh, da vinci that again differs from modern art or abstract art is you know like you said he's saying that it communicates knowledge it communicates truth yeah um and like you said Wherever you find truth, there is also beauty there. Mm-hmm. I think some of the issue with uh, crazy abstract art nowadays is if you look at it, you can't uh, extract any truth. Yeah. There's no truth in a bunch of random streaks of paint um, or just you know a, a minimalist block of blue. And so if there's no truth there, then there's not going to be any beauty either. When, and it also it makes sense if it reflects this art, I would think if it imitates nature, it imitates the society in which it's being born out of. So if our society is relative, that Mm -hmm. like there is no truth, you know, or truth is relative to whatever you want to be, then art becomes immediately relative. Yeah. And so if I produce art, I'm also producing like a relativism in my truth Mm -hmm. through it, which is yikes. So then I guess what you're saying is no matter what, uh, in some way, whether we want to debate it's good art or bad art, in some way, the the predominant art of a certain age is kind of reflect that society's view of truth. Yeah. So if the view of truth is it's something concrete and knowable and beautiful, then we're going to have great, awesome art. Um, But if the idea of truth presented in this society is it's something relative, Mm -hmm. then you're going to have crappy art. And that actually makes sense if you think about like the iconoclastic um, heresies or actually of like the Byzantine uh, Empire where they were like destroying sacred images left and right. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're, they believe like a very high, high, Oh, is it uh, the theology? I, there's cataphatic and apophatic. One of them is image. I think apophatic is where you use images like mm-hmm. in prayer. And cataphatic is where you like remove all images from your mind when you pray. Like it's only like. What do you meditate on? That's that's it's <laughs> like, like pure. Plateness? It's pure contemplation of the divine. There's no images at all in your head. Um, Good luck, John. That, John Cashin you... was really like. Not heavy in it, but he believed that you should get to that point eventually. Oh, um, maybe in heaven, but so th- that's a very is a very Eastern theological okay. idea. Yeah. So they really believe that. So it makes it honestly makes sense. It's like that's what their idea of truth and the divine was. That like you, you shouldn't use images. Then why would you have icons? Their culture then is let's destroy the art. Right. So that's all we have, right? So that right. their their art, or in this case, a lack of it, reflected their understanding of truth wow. and beauty. Wow. Versus now, it's like relative, whatever you want it to be, and that's what our art also looks like. Yeah, well, that's powerful stuff. Then, yeah, that's that's kind of a cool way of looking at history. Then, is you know, and art the history reflects, of art. Yeah, art reflects the predominant understanding of truth. Speaking of history, <laughs> progress of history. Oh baby, let's bring in our our favorite boy. Oh no, Hegel. Dude, I just spent like a good portion of this semester reading Hegel, and like. I, I don't know if I've ever had the experience before where I would read all the words on a page, um, you know, and I, I'd read them. I'd try to take my time with them sometimes when, when I could. And, you know, I just wouldn't get any of it. Like, yeah. you know, I, I've had philosoph- <laughs> There's been philosophers before. Have you read Heidegger yet? No, no. I, 
I haven't read him yet, so maybe he's, he's, he's like even that too. worse. Really? Okay, yeah. that's unbelievable to me. Because like I've had philosophers before where most of what they say makes sense, or half of what they say makes sense, but then there's other portions that like I, I just don't get this. But Hegel is just like reading the entire page, and I'm like, get to the bottom, just nod, and smile. Like, yep, yeah, I don't understand, understand any of that. Wow. Mo- moving on to the next page. Yep. But anyway, um, can't wait for Heidegger, I guess. So yeah, Hegel. What was Hegel's understanding of art? Um, yeah, so, well, Hegel's just understanding of things in general was, could you actually, before we get into it, well, actually, no, I'll, I'll read the definition I have, and then okay. if you could explain the, the height, the context, the, the geist, or the geist, the, yeah, to me, um, cause it's been a little while since I've read Hegel. That's valid. So Hegel says that art liberates the true content of phenomena from the pure appearance and deception of this bad transitory world and gives them or i guess those who are appreciating it a higher i think it's the them refers to the the, the continent content. okay maybe and gives them a higher actuality born of the spirit so like you said i read that sentence and he's using a lot of words like the true continent of phenomena from the See, pure that to me looks relatively deception. lucid compared to compared to half of his the stuff he writes but sorry okay so what is what when he says born of the spirit yeah, yeah it's not just we're not talking about the holy spirit here right um what is this the in a way spirit? yes in a way you know it's it's a it's well actually yeah that's true because spirit is like god's coming into being yeah kind of thing. It, it's godness in a way so yeah generally um hegel's idea of all reality and history is rooted in an understanding of what he calls the spirit, or to use a better word, you know, to go back to the the original German, he calls it the Geist, and I use that for one thing because it sounds cooler, but also yeah. uh, it it has a slightly different um, meaning uh, than our word spirit. spirit. Okay. So for for Hegel, there's this thing called the Geist, which is kind of like. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I'm really gonna mess this up because I I, did, I didn't have a perfect understanding of it by the end of the semester. But the Geist is basically, uh, it is the the predominant force, the driving force mm-hmm. throughout all of history, um, and it, it's basically gradually unleashing itself throughout history, and it's working out its way. It, it's kind of a, a force of consciousness, mm-hmm. and so it manifests itself in the conscious actions of mankind, um, and so it it's gradually being uh, liberated. Um, from a state of like very limited uh, consciousness and and freedom to ultimate like uh, achievement like an ultimate end in which the the geist is fully free fully conscious and fully itself fully itself and and so it's it's kind of like um just real quick to understand this uh, Hegel kind of uh, presents an idea of history of all mankind in a way that can be analogous to the the life of one individual person. Okay. So when you're, for example, you look at one person and you make, if you were to write a biography of them, when they're a little kid and they're like a toddler, you know, toddlers are very selfish. They're yeah. self-centered and they're, they don't know much about themselves. They don't know much about the world around them. And they're kind of very limited. Um, but then they get a little bit older. They come to a, a better self-awareness. They, they know who they are. They know other people around them also matter. Yeah. Um, not everybody exists to serve them. And so they start, you know, be- becoming freer. They, they start developing more privileges and, you know, just, throughout the history or th- throughout the, the lifespan of, of one individual person, as they grow in consciousness, they're also going to grow in freedom and they, they, they grow hopefully and, you know, in a good life towards, towards the state of happiness. And he, Hegel imagines that all mankind does the same thing. So if you look at the primitive stages of mankind, mm-hmm. when he was just, you know, a savage living out in the jungle um, or like, you know, a caveman, 
those that that stage of history uh, all the all the individual minds in it were very self-centered they they didn't understand yeah, each yeah. other there you see slavery being an institution mm-hmm. of those times and, and tribalism then you work your way towards a little bit of progress you reach ages like feudalism um, where there, there's a little bit better understanding of of consciousness and, and that everybody has some some share in that but then ultimately says that history is going to work itself out till it reaches this this climactic and this utopia where people are fully conscious of each other they're fully conscious of themselves and they have all perfect freedom so and, sorry that was a tangent no, that's but. good and it happens by this process he calls the dialectic yeah where there's two opposing propositions or ideas or conceptions of reality mm-hmm. one is the thesis and the other is the antithesis right um and that progress or like this becoming or this higher realization of the geist or the spirit of consciousness Mm -hmm. happens when they come together in a synthesis, which is neither one or the other, but kind Mm -hmm. of a blending of the two. Right. And this constant, and then that synthesis becomes a new thesis that meets, encounters another antithesis, come together and you keep on going and going and going. Synthesis is is continually developing. Yeah. So that then, and then the ultimate thing that progress and all of reality is, moving towards is the ultimate synthesis right. in which all things are unified in this pure, pure consciousness of spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and underlying this is kind of this conception of what's called panentheism, um, yeah. which there's pantheism, which is God is in everything. Panentheism is that God's consciousness is right. in everything. Right. Um, and that God becomes fully himself or the spirit becomes fully himself, itself, mm-hmm. whatever, when all things have reached pure consciousness right a per, pure self-realization right so art then yeah to get back to art um he's saying that it's what does he say liberates the pure content of phenomena to the pure acceptance okay oh actually okay now i'm starting to understand this better yeah. after we hash right. that out basically art is what mo- can move us right. past this like bad thesis into right. this we are right now right it's kind of an uh a it is its own tool kind of dialectic. Of, yeah, it's, it's, because it's, there's it's a tool the, the of synthesis. artist and then the thing that they're working with, and they and come together, together in some way, and then this conscious product is produced that we call the the work of art, and that liberates those who those two, right? Even like the the art that he's making itself is liberated, which is weird to think like that. Mm-hmm. But and the artist from just what they've made, mm-hmm. the pure content, right? Beyond this transitory idea of it to like this higher expression of spirit, so. Right. Art is almost like in doing art and viewing art, whatever, I guess he would say is like facilitates a growing of consciousness Mm -hmm. for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is kind of, it sounds whack. And I don't like his idea that like, that means that by our own art, we make God more God Mm -hmm. because that's basically what he's saying. We sort of unleash God. Yeah. I think is his idea. Yeah. I don't like that, but I do kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to this idea that like heart, or art should help us realize something more. Yeah. Like kind of going back to what we said about. Right. But I know that underlying that's not what he, he's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something even a little bit. There, there's some similarity between that and maybe the Thomistic view in that, um, you know, for Aristotle or Aquinas, the artist has a conscious thought in his mind. He has his final cause in his mind, the thing he's yeah. trying to create. And then the artist uh, applies that idea by the work of his hands to matter mm. and then in the end you get a sculpture you, you get a work of art and so it, it is it is an act of consciousness obviously it's a rational act but the difference being uh, I, hegel wants to say 
that like the spirit it's it's not necessarily something uh purely in in the artist or in like the yeah. thing he's working on it's just like it's something that's unleashed by the activity i think of the artist on his material yeah and the and the final thing i would say is with aquinas there's a clear conception and understanding of that final clause mm-hmm. whereas here i don't, there's with with the idea of like pure synthesis no one can know the final cause no individual right yeah right. yeah so an artist could not be aiming towards a, f- a true final cause for right, Hegel. Right. Maybe like this really, really minor one. Yeah. But yeah, versus Aquinas, you can see the final end right. as you're making what you're doing you now. You can see the final end and you can pursue it willfully by, yeah. by a free choice. Because that's, that's one issue, I think, with Hegel in general. <laughs> Again, if I understood it uh, yeah, well no, at all, a, it, it seems like he has a determinist understanding of reality. Much, yeah. Everything is necessarily going to work itself out in the way that it does. So I think that would even apply on on the microcosm to an artist making art. Yeah, that's true. You know, he's not rationally deciding one day, oh, you know what? I want to make some art. I want to make a sculpture. He no, is, he, he just, the spirit is going to work through him whether he wants it or not. And, you know, he's just going to make that art, it. man. Huh. And, and so it's uh, that's definitely different from to- uh, Aquinas because I think, you know, for Aquinas, if it's a rational act, it's also... Hopefully, going to be a willful act. Yeah. So, yeah. Now we come to uh, another the happiest. Ger- Hegel was German. Nietzsche was German. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so another German philosopher. You know, the happiest in history, like you yep. said. Uh, Just all smiles and rest. Our boy Nietzsche. Yeah. What Nietzsche, a guy. Man. What a Chad. Um, Just kidding. So we go from a phenomenologist to uh, to a, a nihilist. Yeah. And I mean, nihilism or nihilism, however you pronounce it, that's. You know, a, a pretty dark, uh, you know, hopeless view of reality. So yeah. I think it's going to, it would have to influence how you see art for sure. Yeah. We see it does. So so what, what did Nietzsche think about uh, art? So uh, Nietzsche believed that art, actually, he really liked art, um, but not for any of the reasons any of the people we've talked about prior <laughs> liked art or believed it was He liked good. art for a very Nietzsche reason. Yeah, like exactly. Art. Yeah. It's yeah. a Nietzsche uh, reason, right? <laughs> it's very niche. Right? She, man. Anyways, um, yeah, he said that uh, art is the is really the, it's the highest form of self expression. Um, there you go. There's the self. Yay. Yep. So it's it's really about you. It's all about you. You becoming everything and you dominating. And he said actually that art represents high autonomy in the person, so they're acting themselves, right? And a rejection, or at least it can be of moral obedience to social norms um, because art can break through all of those things. Right? Leave it to Nietzsche to, to find an, an aggressive, <laughs> violent way of even understanding art. I mean, because basically from, from the definition you just gave for, for Nietzsche, art is just another platform on which a man basically attacks his environment and, yeah. dom- and dominates it. And yeah, that, well, that's exactly, I mean, that's his whole goal, right? Is that right. domination over man's domination of all things, right? right? Isn't that Das Übermensch? Yeah. yeah. So art is how to be the Ubermensch. It's um, one one way, I guess. Yeah, and well, it's it's interesting that he specifies that you know it goes against social norms. Yeah, because um, then he would fully support a lot of modern art. Where you know, if you look at a lot of modern art, it wasn't just you know a casual. Oh, you know, I'm going to try something out new. Yeah. I think for a lot of modern artists, it's a it was you know what I'm going to particularly rebel against the traditions Rules. of Baroque and you know classical art. Yeah. I'm going to just cause chaos. To you know, oppose the the natural order, and you and he he talks about like in the priority of values, right? That the values of the lower have been imposed on the values of the higher. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the Christian core values of like morality and virtue have been imposed on high society, so that 
they had to follow those norms, right. though in their power, they shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's basically saying, like, art frees you yeah. from having to listen to those poor lower classes. Right. Um, and, yeah, it's just so weird. Uh, like, obviously, autonomy is, like, king for Nietzsche. Yeah. Um, but he even and says that art is the highest task of the of, at all. Yeah. Um, and that prop and the proper metaphysical activity of life. Right. Um, he had a, a similarly bold quote, I think specifically about music, if I remember right, where he, he, he had so much respect for music. I think Nietzsche said something along the lines of, uh, if th- there was not music, life would not be worth living. Hmm. Something like that. So he, he does have this very uh, lofty understanding of art as being that which gives some meaning to life. And p- part of that, I guess, is because he sees art, as we're saying, as the, a means of self-expression, and yeah. self-expression is for him kind of the only means or, or the, the, the only the way. only end or, or purpose of life, if there is one at all. And uh, so, I, it, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I well, so it is the prop. So he, him saying that it's the proper metaphysical activity of this life, just like like Aquinas would, like mm-hmm. smashing his head on a yeah. brick. You know? Oh yeah, because. Uh, the only proper metaphysical activity of this life is contemplation of the divine. Right. 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 Um, and this is like basically contemplation of yourself. Yeah. Honestly, I think yeah. that's what basically this is. Right. No, totally. Because for, for Aquinas, you know, the, the highest act that, that any of us will ever engage in uh, will hopefully be receiving the divine. Yeah. Um, and and beholding the B2 vision. Whereas for him, uh, for Nietzsche, it, the, the highest act is not receiving something. It's producing something and in a in a in an aggressive way okay um so that that's like di- di- kind of directly opposed in a way yeah and also what's interesting is i don't think nietzsche's understanding of art allows for art to be something transcendental mm. because that's true. he says it's an expression of the individual so uh art and any merit that a work of art has would be limited to the individual and his expression on his current environment. Yeah. Um, whereas good art, we know, should transcend individuals. It should transcend individual experience, and it tr- should transcend time and space. So when Leonardo says it gives knowledge to all generations, right? He, this, and it, yeah, and, and the knowledge not only is does the transcendent limited; it's also the knowledge that it gives is very limited, right? Because right. if you don't know this person, and and you really can't. I don't think know if Nietzsche would say you could really ever know anyone else other mm-hmm. than yourself. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Again. Yeah. So, so it's all competition, which and I know that's what he says. Right. Um, and art, I guess, is just like the best way of expressing that competition. Art is just another weapon, I guess, that you can use in your competition. Huh. Pl- yeah. The, the ideal one, maybe. So Plato would definitely hate that because yeah, he's you're saying <laughs> right. um, that you're using these images. Of lower images right. to assert yourself and, like, basically, like, make yourself more material. Yeah. And his goal is that, like, you should get rid of all of these things because you want just your soul, your form to get away right. from everything. Right. So Plato Plato opposes him on a completely different level. Yeah. Uh, but he would still hate it. Oh, hugely. Um, yeah, because Plato would say there's something deeply lacking in you yourself. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, because you're material, but also because you have no knowledge of the forms. Whereas Nietzsche is saying, you yeah. know, you yourself are the only hope yeah. uh, for your environment. You yourself must express yourself and you, you must dominate your environment on a very material, visceral level. Um, 
not striving for something higher than you, um, but just striving to express yourself. So hmm. that's that's wild. So, but but we yeah. see how that influences and informs uh, yeah, modern absolutely. art. Absolutely. I mean, you you look at so many modern artists again. I keep going back to them. You look at them; they have very idiosyncratic understanding of how they should express themselves. Mm-hmm. It's they're not trying to participate in something transcendental. They're just saying, "I have this 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 inner uh, feeling or passion, and I'm just going to put it on my canvas." And you know, I don't care about if, if somebody else sees any good in it. Yeah. Of course, they actually do because they do want to yeah, have some true. market value. But they, they they say, "I don't I don't care about if it you know uh, affects other people or like you know reaches out in a universal way to the the general experience." But instead, I just want to produce something that expresses my experiences. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's a Exactly what Nietzsche's talking about. That's that's self-expression. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Bet you didn't think about all that last time you were looking at a painting. Yeah. Um. So but now you can. Yeah. So yeah. Why don't you take maybe take some time go back over your favorite what what art or what paintings or what sculptures or pieces of music like have a special place in your heart, mm-hmm. um, and maybe like actually think about that. Let yeah. the transcendent transcendental nature of this art actually affect you and maybe like write why or right. um, like t- tell someone why, because right. that's what art is supposed to do Yeah, is then point us to God. Right. right. If all and it is, is with those like, around us. Yeah. All of it is, is consumption. Right. Then in a way I feel like we're giving into Hegel or Nietzsche because if you're consuming, then it's like, Oh, let, let the spirit move. And that's all it needs. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. to do anything about it. Or Nietzsche is like, Oh, well this was your thing. I'm just like sharing in your product, but it yeah. doesn't really do anything to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do that. That make art something you actually think and reflect on. Yeah, so. if it is something transcendental, then do what Francisco just said and you know share about that with somebody else. And if it, if your favorite work of art is not something transcendental, if yeah. it is some work of modern <laughs> art, then uh, you know consider changing your, Find a new your idea of art. Yeah, um, and yeah. Okay. Well, maybe go to an art gallery and it, you go to the modern art section and maybe like destroy all the all the okay. paintings there. Well, we don't. We're not condoning. I am condoning. Okay. Well. <laughs> Fifty percent of us are not condoning vandalism, but feel I would say feel free to go there and just say, "Wow, this is crap!" Yeah. Out loud, echo it through that art gallery. You yeah. know, it's funny. I, I heard of a guy recently. I think he might have been a security guard in an art gallery on like maybe his first day on the job, and there must have been some priceless work of art uh, that was uh, human figures, but they didn't have faces on them. Yeah. And so he went there with a pen or something and drew oh, no. smiley faces on these figures and obviously immediately lost his job. I think went to jail, but it, he ruined like a $2 million uh, painting. Good it for was, him, It's man. so funny. I mean, it's so bald. Imagine, I think he was a security guard on his first day of the job. So imagine That's being insane. like, you're just like, you're like, you know, standing there. You're like, you know, I'm bored. It's like 2 p.m. You know, I'll, I'll That try. doesn't look good. Uh, yeah. Wow. Anyway, so uh, maybe don't do that, but. You know, if you want to, you know, self-expression. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, from all of us here, both of us here (laughs) at All Good in the Brotherhood, I'm Brother Francisco. And I'm Nate, as always. And have a awesome day. God bless.